Good morning, and I wanted to talk about skin today. The skin is like a balanced ecosystem, the surface of the skin. So if you imagine a prairie or a meadow or a rainforest or some environment, there are many different species of, let's just talk about plants, of plants. So on a grassland or prairie, there might be grasses, wildflowers, um, legume, wild leguminous things, and in the soil, microorganisms, and the soil will have a certain pH that supports the life of that prairie. And the whole system is balanced and stable, meaning that if you went there in spring and if you went there in autumn, they would look different, but not dramatically different in terms of the species present. The species would be the same. They would be at different stages due to the different seasons. But if you went there every autumn or if you went there every spring, they would look quite similar because there are no dramatic radical changes in the balance of all the different species. There are gentle changes over time. Nothing is fully stable. But what I mean by stable is that changes that occur are non-dramatic and infrequent, or so that if they are more dramatic, they're infrequent. And um, looking at that prairie or grassland, you would get a sense of, I mean, this is a genuine um, way to tell if something is balanced. You would get a sense of peace and calm and of things being right. In the same way that if you look at a painting and the artist has used certain pigments and colours and covered the canvas in a certain way, you might get a feeling of peace and calm and things being right. Whereas if you had were looking at a different piece of artwork where the artist's intention was to create discord and strong emotions, you might get a feeling of disharmony or be anxious when you saw that painting. And another analogy would be a piece of music, something that's been composed in a harmonious way that actually speaks to the vibrations in your body so that you feel a certain emotion of calm and safe, parasympathetic, relaxed emotions. And when you look at an, um, listen to another piece of music that's jangly and discordant, you might feel anxious and stressed out or sad or angry or something like that. And my last analogy is sitting around the campfire with trusted friends knowing that you're safe versus sitting around a campfire with people you don't know if you can trust and if they're going to come and steal your stuff while you're asleep or if some predator is going to come and eat you while you're asleep. So I'm making this analogy to show that certain ecosystems or, or systems can be um, nourishing, calming and draw us to them and other situations can be aversive, potentially dangerous and make us feel unsafe. And in my analogy with skin, this is where you get disease and infections and rashes 
Whereas the former situation is where you just have skin and it does its job and you don't necessarily need to think about it because everything is right with your skin. And that's what the ecosystem of your skin, and it's not just the ecosystem, there are the microbiota or the multitude of microorganisms that live on our skin. And there's also their environment, which is the layer of sebum. So you've got your actual skin, which is a barrier physically, But on its own, it's not that good of a physical barrier. It requires this extra layer over the top of it of sebum. Sebum is just an oily, waxy, greasy substance that comes from the sebaceous glands in the skin and which covers the entire skin. And it's a protective layer. It's also a layer that has a pH that's just right for your skin, which is slightly acidic, around 5.5-ish. And it varies from location to location. The thickness of the sebum and the types of microflora and the pH will be different in your armpit versus your eyelid or your scalp or your forearm. Different parts of your body will have different variations of what's appropriate. But there is something appropriate, some balanced status quo homeostatic situation over the entire surface of your skin. And when that is disturbed, the same way that if you sprayed a bunch of weed killer or set fire to the prairie, that would be disturbed, then that disturbance can lead to an imbalance in the species, the pH and the environment. And so that would make, in the skin context, a person vulnerable to getting an infection with a yeast or a fungus, getting an infection with a bacteria or a virus, or just having inflamed, red, rashy skin. And there is a multitude of diagnoses that this applies to. Now, getting rashes can certainly be due to internal processes, which the skin is affected secondarily. So autoimmune diseases cause a lot of different rashes and just being inflamed in general when you don't have an autoimmune disease but your blood sugar's all over the place up and down or you're metabolically compromised, meaning your biochemistry's out of whack because of all sorts of lifestyle factors, that will make your skin more vulnerable to infections and more vulnerable to rashes. Um, but there are also local factors, things you can do to the skin or not do to the skin, which are the equivalent of throwing um, pesticides or weed killers all over the prairie. So what are those things? Anything that you apply to your skin that damages the sebum layer and kills the microflora is going to put you at risk of getting infections and rashes. And what are some of those things? Well, hot water melts the sebum off you. The sebum is waxy and oily and it can withstand some degree of hot water, but not a very long hot shower or a very long hot bath. Now, of course, at the end of the long hot shower or bath, your body's still going to be making sebum. It's going to replace it all within 24 hours probably. But that all depends because if you're having a long hot bath or long hot shower every day and there are other things going on with your skin and with your health, then maybe you're not going to replace it within 24 hours. Maybe you're not going to replace it at all. Or maybe before you've replaced it, you've already had another long hot bath or shower. 
So it's a factor. I'm not saying never have a long hot bath or shower, but I am saying take, use them with caution. Other things include all detergents. Now, soaps are detergents. Even a perfectly natural, um, you know, soap without this and that and ingredient is still a detergent. However, a natural soap that doesn't have a whole bunch of chemicals and that doesn't have um, art um, synthetic fragrances is a relatively safe thing to use if you want to use a soap and most of us do and I'd say that those natural soaps that don't contain sodium lauryl sulfate and don't contain synthetic fragrances and don't contain a very long ingredient list that no one can pronounce are safe to use but I still would limit their use to the parts that need soaping. I don't see any benefit to soaping your arms, torso, legs if they're not actually dirty with dust or mud or whatever you're trying to clean off. If you're just trying to get rid of sweat and trying to make sure you don't stink, then you don't need to wash your arms, legs and torso. So um, that's soap. Other detergents, shampoo, um, all the products that are sold for use in the shower, shower gel, shampoo, conditioner, exfoliating this and that, all those things are mostly pretty awful. They mostly are alkaline, which means they'll dissolve the sebum off even with, without the presence of heat and hot water. And they mostly contain things like fragrances, phthalates, parabens, other um, preservatives, uh, things that make it go frothy. So a lot of chemicals, all of which are damaging, all of which are damaging. You really want to put as little as possible of that stuff on your skin. Now, fragrance, um, you can get natural fragrances, essential oils, um, and they're less harmful, although you can become allergic to them. You can become allergic to anything if you use it often enough and if your immune system is vulnerable enough. So that's one caution, but they're still better. But synthetic fragrances are, are quite toxic. They're estrogenic, um, so they, you know, they provide um, fake estrogen, which is not good for women because it may promote breast cancer. It's not good for men because it provokes feminization. Um, I'm definitely fragrances, artificial fragrances are pretty bad. So that's for soap. And then there's all the other stuff. The, um, scrubbing the skin is completely unnecessary and very irritating. And a good, strong skin can get away with it. But if there's any vulnerability, it's going to damage the sebum layer and the microflora. Um, anything alkaline? What else? Oh, chlorinated water. Uh, again, if you're not sensitive, if you don't have a skin issue, you can get away with it. You can shower in chlorinated water without um, filtering, getting a filter for your shower. But if you do have skin issues, then you've got to look at that. It doesn't mean you have to have a filter, but you could just take a shower less often and of a limited part of your body. But if you have the option, you're far better off bathing in a body of water that's a natural body of water, preferably the ocean, although not in a country where there's raw sewage going into the ocean, but pretty sure in Australia we're, we're okay with our oceans. Lakes, rivers, I mean, there's a slight caution with rivers because they can be effluent from upstream, from industry or farming, depending on the farming practices. 
depends if it's good farming or bad farming. Um, but yeah, bodies of water that are not chlorinated, because chlorine's huge at getting rid of sebum and microflora. I mean, it is an anti, that's why it's there, it's to kill micro, um, microorganisms. So it's going to kill the ones on your skin just as much. Not to mention the fact that when it's hot water and chlorinated, you're inhaling it as well. So it's doing things to your lungs. And all those um, chlorine. Uh, particles are combining with organic particles and causing the formation of, I've forgotten their name, chloroaminated something or other, which is also harmful to be inhaled and applied to your skin. So again, I'm not going crazy and saying don't ever shower, um, but I'm just suggesting have showers that are short, to the point, not too hot, and if you can get away without every day, then do get away without every day. And if you get the opportunity of bathing in a natural body of water instead of the chlorinated water, then do. But if you do have a skin issue, then you might want to invest in a filter for your shower. They're not that expensive. Um, after you've had a shower, you will need to replace the oil um, again, if you have a fantastic skin, your metabolism physiology is working perfectly and you haven't had a rash ever or for years, then you might not need to do this. But most of us do. So how do we replace the oils that we've just washed off? Um, oils is the key word. So not creams. Anything that's a cream has to contain a preservative in it because all creams are water-based and if they're water-based they attract microorganisms and they go off and they have a short shelf life and therefore they have to have these preservatives and things that prolong their shelf life. So oils are going to be better or if you are using a cream use it in very limited quantities. What oils? Well, natural oils are better. There's a myriad. Macadamia oil, extra virgin olive oil, coconut oil, jojoba oil, shea butter, um, avocado oil. The fattier the thing, the better. Tallow is what traditional peoples used, animal fats of it, whatever type of animal they were eating. <clears throat> now, it's... If you're not used to it, it can be a pain in the ass to make your own tallow. I do it all the time. I find it really easy, but I'm used to it. Just melt some fat um, on a low heat and keep it for cooking with or for putting on your skin. And it does smell a bit funny when you put it on, but the smell dissipates within a very short time, a few minutes, maybe 10 minutes at most. But you can buy tallow-based products if you don't want to do that yourself. They're not particularly expensive. Um, you'd have to Google tallow skincare and order that, or you can find them at the market sometimes. And they'll have some, some will have fragrance, but it'll be a natural fragrance generally. So that's, and I would cover the entire body in that stuff because that's your barrier. You're replenishing your barrier. You're replenishing the sebum and you're also providing the correct pH and environment for your natural microflora to survive and thrive. Now, if you already have um, some kind of skin issue, and this will be especially common in skin creases, and depending on your body shape, you may have more of more than your fair share of skin creases. And the trouble with creases is they're a greenhouse. No air circulates, and the 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 moisture 
leads to maceration of the skin, which essentially means that the sebum wears away and the pH changes and the environment is hot and moist and defenceless. Um, so it's kind of um, catch-22 because you do need to wash those areas more often than is ideal because there's gunk and stuff and sticky and red and inflamed and chafy, but you don't want to wash them too much because of all the other reasons. So it's kind of a catch-22, but you can to some extent deal with that by um, bathing those areas that are skin folds more frequently, but bathing them in salt water, saline which ideally is non-chlorinated water. I mean, at the very least, if you leave a bowl of water in the open air to evaporate, there'll be much, much less chlorine in that an hour later, and you can add salt to that. Um, so bathing with saline, or you can just buy saline at the pharmacy, that's easier, um, or in the sea, and then drying, having those areas as dry as possible. A lot of people use talcum powder, which does help to dry them and is very effective. However, I've seen pretty persuasive things in several places that talcum powder is a carcinogen and plus you inhale it because all powders you inhale, whether you mean to or not. So I certainly wouldn't recommend talcum powder. I'm not sure about cornstarch. Um, I've never heard or seen anything that implicates it. So I'm um, still open to being one way or the other about that in terms of drying. Another way to dry the skin is to just use a hairdryer or to just lie there and wait for it to dry, which could take 10 minutes, so it depends how long you've got. But um, once it is dry, and actually even before it's fully dry, I would still put the oil stuff on. The oil will actually repel some of the moisture, so it has a drying activity, <clears throat> and it's still important to do that to those creases, especially to those creases. If there's an actual infection already, then you may have to do the thing of getting an antifungal or an antibacterial agent to kill the infection before you can re-establish things. So if it's a fairly mild uh, infection, then you, can, you don't need to get, do that specific measure necessarily. It could improve with all the other preventive measures. But there are cases where it's just not going to improve until you actually make an intervention. Now, in terms of antibacterials, ideally not an antibiotic, although sometimes that can be necessary. And if it has been necessary, then all the preventive measures become even more important. Other antibiotic type things that are perhaps less um, less damaging would be things like oregano oil, um, tea tree oil, or kunzea oil, K-U-N-Z-E-A, uh, and there are other essential oils that have an antibacterial property and antifungal properties. A simple one, which does, does break my rule of not using shampoos, but if it's a fungal or yeast infection, the um, Selsun Blue shampoos are great as an antifungal. <clears throat> you just put them on the area and let the skin dry with the shampoo on and leave it on overnight or several hours and then get rid of it in the morning and just do that once a week, twice or three times. And that will get rid of most fungal infections or yeast infections. It can take, once you've killed off the infection, the skin doesn't miraculously repair itself. So you might think it's still there even though the infection's gone, but it's it's probably just the healing still taking place and that will take another three weeks. 
So, yeah, I think that's pretty much what I want to say about skin. So pay attention to the internal health because that's super important. Pay attention to the external health. Don't do things to destroy your sebum layer. Replace it when you have stripped it off. Avoid nasty chemicals. And do expose yourself to sun, wind, air, and natural fibers. That is one thing that I didn't talk about was depending on the fabric that your clothes are actually made of and the mechanics of the shape of the clothes and how much they rub on you, that will also have an effect. But that's a huge topic and it does require a lot of trial and error because some people are sensitive to this and other people are sensitive to that. But on the whole, natural fabrics are going to be safer. All right, thank you and enjoy your day.